0: Welcome to the Apple for the Teacher podcast, the true crime podcast that features the good apples and the bad apples within the school system. My name is Anna Thomas, a teacher and your host. So join me as I present school stories that are tragic, shocking, unbelievable, and outright bizarre. Hello, and welcome everyone to episode 34. Great to have your company today. If you're new to the podcast, hello and welcome back to the regular listeners. Today, there is only one Bad Apple story, and it can only be described as a very protracted saga. I was so frustrated researching it, so I can imagine how the people at the centre of the story must have felt. But first, let's say hello to these lovely people in our Facebook group. Hello to Brooke Annan, Christy Dale. Julie Belmore, and Christy Rawls-Ramage. And I'm not sure, Christy, maybe your last name is pronounced Ramage. Ramage or Ramage? And also, here are some lovely reviews of the podcast. Now, I don't share these to toot my own horn, but it's because I'm constantly surprised at what people are saying. In the beginning, I really didn't want to tell anyone that I was doing the podcast in case it was really bad. So here is one review that says, very specific. I appreciate that this podcast is not just true crime, but a specific kind of true crime. Anna is very well informed and a great host. And another one that says, excellent, excellent find. We came across your show on Instagram and decided to give it a listen and very glad we did. The host is a breath of fresh air and a joy to listen to. The topics are interesting and binge worthy. Keep up the great work. Cannot wait to binge more content. And that was written by Yergi and Druby, who are the hosts of the podcast called The Misery Machine. And here is how they describe their podcast. They dismantle pop culture, current events, and uncover the mysteries of the universe, largely of the homicidal variety, and listener interaction is highly encouraged. So thank you guys for your very kind review. Here is a preview of the Bad Apple story today. It's called Kiss of Judas. The students experienced the ultimate Betrayal. But before we get into this story, I need to provide a warning that it deals with sexual abuse, which may not be suitable for everyone. For this story, we go to the city of Melbourne in Australia and meet three sisters named Ellie, Nicole, and Dassey Ehrlich. They are now in their 30s, but we will go back and tell the story of what happened to them when they were teenagers. The girls were members of the Adas Israel Jewish community in Melbourne, who were a very private, ultra-Orthodox and tight-knit community. The roughly 200-family community lived within a single square kilometre in the suburb of St Kilda and had their own synagogue, kindergartens, schools, shops, restaurants and medical services. As Orthodox Judaism began evolving and accepting modernity, The Adas rejected the reforms and wanted to strictly adhere to Jewish law and custom, which led to their persecution. They considered themselves as the most religiously authentic group of Jews. Some of its members fled to Melbourne in Australia, and thus the Adas Jewish community had begun. They segregated themselves from modern society and didn't mix with the wider Jewish communities. The three sisters grew up in this community with five other siblings. Children in the Adas community were raised without TV, internet and radio and only had access to Jewish newspapers and magazines. They were shielded from world events and their exposure to people outside of the community was limited. Family life for the sisters was very strict and their memories of their childhood were not happy ones. Each day followed a strict religious routine, and Nicole recalls here what it was like. Every single action we ever did was governed by a fear of what would happen if we didn't do the right thing at all times, day or night. Their mother was very controlling and angry, and they would always be walking on eggshells. Punishments were common, and they have particularly haunting memories of a cupboard under the stairs which was the punishment room. They remember their home to be a very cold place, lacking in emotional warmth. At the very young age of three, boys and girls were segregated from one another, and girls were forbidden to talk to any male that they were not related to. Girls were groomed at a very young age, that their future would consist of becoming a committed Jewish wife and mother, raising large families, often with more than 10 children. Modesty for women was strictly enforced. Women wore long skirts to the ankles and long-sleeved tops with high necklines. Married women were required to use wigs and scarves to cover their heads. The sisters remember that they weren't even allowed to walk around at home in their pyjamas. If they wanted to get out of bed to go to the bathroom or get a drink, they had to cover up. The sisters remember that they had never even seen each other's bodies naked. Marriages were arranged and Dassey recalls as a teenager that marriage was more important to her than school. She says, I just need to fill up my time until the matchmaker calls my parents with someone she feels may be a good husband for me. I don't really need a VCE, which is a Victorian Certificate of Education, to get married and be a good religious wife and mother. Dacey remembers there was no sex education at home or school, but brides and grooms did attend classes where sex and marriage was discussed. Dacey spent much of her teenage years writing in her diary, saying, we didn't have TV, we didn't have internet. And we had a lot of thoughts and expressions that we wanted to share, but we didn't feel that we could with anyone. Reading through her diaries years later showed how lonely she was, the strictness of home life, her emotionally absent parents, and the constant fear of being punished for minor things. As family image was so important in the Adas community, the sisters did not dare tell anyone about what was happening at home, as it would bring shame and stigma and therefore ruin a girl's marriage prospects. Now in her 30s, Dassey says, I didn't realize it was an unusual community until I left it. It was my way of life and I didn't know anything else. We were told that ours was the best way of life and the superior way of life. It was just accepted that you didn't interact with people who are not part of your community unless absolutely necessary. So, we have seen what it was like for the sisters growing up in the Adas community. However, little did the girls know that the worst was yet to come. The Adas community had their own schools with separate sites for the boys and girls. The sisters attended the Adas Israel Girls School. In the year 2000, a new female principal came to the school, having been recruited from Israel. Within a short time, she became very well-liked and respected by the school community. By the time the new principal had arrived, Michelle, who was the girl's older sister, had already left the school, but she recalls hearing about her from her sisters. She says, I had heard that she was very energetic and very capable. From the reactions of my neighbours and people that lived on our street at that point, there was a great deal of reverence and respect. It was almost as if she was larger than life. She seemed to be running the school at everything from admissions to curriculum to school camps. Everything ran through her. She cast a wide sphere of influence over the community. The principal was married and as Adas' tradition dictates, she had a very large family of eight children. Dacy remembers how people felt about her. People looked up to her and listened to her as if hers were God's words. She was someone who everyone looked up to and idolized. She was like an angel who had flown in from overseas. People often commented on her warmth and caring attitude towards everyone in her school. And for the three sisters, she became that mother figure that they never had. They received the kind of emotional attention that they had never experienced. And therefore, were very fond of their days spent at school rather than being at home. Nicole was the oldest, and at about the age of 16, her time spent with the principal started to change. She started showing her physical attention, the sort of touching that Nicole had never experienced. Being so naive, she was unaware that the principal was making sexual advances towards her. Nicole never told anyone what was happening and she went on to become a teacher at the school. Then at the age of 15, Dassey started having the same experiences as her sister, but they didn't know what was happening to each other. For Dassey, it started with the principal offering her private lessons in her office and she was flattered that she cared so much about her education I would go to her office and study and she would put her arms around me. I found it quite comforting. I felt quite loved and really special that she was showing me her attention. Then more touching happened and Dassey says, I thought it was weird but it was also like, well, she is the boss, she is the adult here, so it must be right. With each meeting, the touching progressed further and further and went on for three years. Just like her sister Nicole, she was naive and being kissed on the mouth was not something she had even knew existed. Here is Dassey speaking about sex education.
1: There was no education about sex in the school. Um, Yeah, My understanding of sex as a 16, 17, 18-year-old was that of a 4 or 5-year-old.
0: Both girls couldn't explain what was happening to them but they did get a sense that it wasn't right. The longer it progressed, the more they began to disassociate from what was happening and imagine that they were somewhere else while it was occurring. Then the sisters attended a winter camp with Nicole as the teacher and Dassie was still a student. Nicole saw her sister come out of the principal's camp room and they both looked at each other realizing for the first time that they had been experiencing the same thing however they never spoke about it to each other. Nicole says what was there to say there was no reason to speak about it it was just a matter of self-preservation and surviving at that point. I just find this so sad that they couldn't even talk to each other as sisters. Their younger sister Ellie noticed the attention her older sisters were getting and was very envious. She too wanted to feel special and be one of the principal's favourites. And yes, you can see where this is going. Ellie too became one of her favourites, but not in the way that she had ever anticipated. Ellie remembers the principal saying, this is good for you. This is going to be good for you when you get married. What I'm doing is helping you, and I'm giving you love. For Dassey, the abuse finally ended when she was 18 and entered into an arranged marriage. Her husband was 23 and had been chosen by her parents. The first time Dassey met her future husband, she says, I was very nervous. Suddenly I was supposed to speak to this guy I didn't know and have a conversation about marriage as my mother was in the next room listening in. We talked about the guiding principles of life and what sort of home you wanted to be in and what kinds of kids you want to bring up. How many kids is never a question because birth control is not an option. You have to get the rabbi's permission for that. Within a week of meeting him, she became engaged. And after getting married, they went to live in Israel, where her husband could pursue his religious studies. Of course, it was expected that they would start their family straight away, but Dassey had difficulties conceiving, and when she finally did, she sadly had a miscarriage. She became very depressed and began seeing a therapist. She was able to reveal to the therapist the abuse she suffered, which she had not even told her husband. It was like a very shameful secret because I believed it was all my fault. It was like self-loathing, she says. Now, can you believe this? The therapist didn't believe her at first, but then he contacted someone he knew in the ADAS community in Melbourne and repeated what Dassey had told him. As far as Dassey knew, it was just herself and two sisters who had experienced the abuse, but it soon came out that there were many more victims. It was now 2008 and the allegations of abuse against multiple victims prompted a special meeting to be held at the school. The meeting was attended by the school board president, a school board member, a barrister, a psychologist and a teacher from the school. At the meeting, the principal was put on speakerphone and she was informed of the allegations made against her all of which she denied. Surprise, surprise. She was told she would be stood down, but what happened next can only be described as deplorable. Instead of calling the police, they decided to fly her out of Australia to Israel. Only hours after the meeting, a travel agent friend that they knew opened up their agency at 10pm at night and arranged the tickets for the principal and four of her children, which was paid for by the school. The flight departed at 1am the next morning. Wow, what a story, but it's far from over. We will pause now to catch our breath and listen to a few podcast recommendations for continuing on with the story. Hi, true crime fans. I'm Erin. And I'm Shay. We
1: host All Crime, No Cattle, a conversational podcast which focuses on true crime stories from the Lone Star State.
0: We strive to bring you a balanced and well-researched story about Texas cases big and small.
1: We do the research so you don't have to.
0: We also end every episode with a good news story just to remind everyone that real life isn't quite as depressing as true crime can make it out to be.
1: New episodes drop every Thursday and you can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. All crime, no cattle, because crime is bigger in Texas, y'all. Hello, my name is Hallie, the host of the Morbid Curiosity Podcast, a podcast for the morbidly curious, covering history's most notorious serial killers, urban legends, ancient remains, obscure medical conditions, and history's greatest mysteries. Join the creepy community on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, YouTube, and anywhere else podcasts are found, and let us satisfy your curiosity.
0: A year after the principal left for Israel, Dasi was still living in Israel, but she and her husband decided to return to Australia and back into the Adas community. She was finally able to become pregnant, but instead of feeling joy, she failed to bond with her daughter. She says, I couldn't feel anything for the child I was carrying. It scared me so much. It got worse after she was born. I was getting lots of flashbacks and I literally could not deny it anymore. I was suicidal, I was self-harming, and I felt like the worst mother in the world. Dasi was admitted to a mental health clinic and her marriage broke down. Here she is describing her time in the hospital. Until I went into hospital, I had no connection with people outside my community. In there, I met other mums and it opened up a whole new world for me. They had the internet, and I started reading books on religion, history, philosophy, everything I could get my hands on. Dassy's life began to change, her health improved, and she was seeing the world in a different way. She was finally able to bond with her daughter, who helped her to understand the full extent of the principal's actions. She began contemplating taking legal action. I started thinking about blank, flying to Israel and maybe committing the same crimes there. I now had a daughter and I couldn't imagine that happening to her. But I knew that if I did take legal action, there would be no going back to the community. I knew nothing else but that community. I didn't have a penny to my name. I had left my husband and I was in a psychiatric hospital with literally only the suitcase that I had taken there. In 2015, Dassey did manage to summon all her strength to bring the matter to court and she was awarded record damages of $1.2 million against the school and the perpetrator. When handing down his judgment, Judge Jack Rush said, quote, that the sexual abuse occurred under the guise of Jewish education by the headmistress of the school, makes the breach of trust associated with the abuse monstrous. The evidence discloses the sole motivation of the suspect in her dealings with the plaintiff was her own sexual gratification. It was only during the court proceedings that Dassey found out the details of the principal's aided departure from Australia by the school. She says, I wasn't shocked by that when I finally heard about it. The cover-up was like something that all religious communities around the world would do, so I was disappointed but not shocked. This is what the ADAS do with a lot of their problems. They shove it under the carpet, pretend it didn't happen, and move on. The judge was also scathing of the school's failure to act and inform the police of the abuse. He said, in such circumstances, the alleged perpetrator should not be assisted to urgently flee the jurisdiction. The failure of the board to report the allegations to the police prior to arranging the departure is deplorable. The school board president made this statement, quote, we have acted as any normal person would act. We have responsibilities for our children and for our community." We could not allow, at that time, a teacher like that to stay anywhere near the children. Don't you agree with me that the best thing is that they don't have anything more to do with the children? He maintained that it was the principal herself that made the choice to leave that night. Dassey's sisters Nicole and Ellie also went to court and were granted out-of-court settlements from the school. All three sisters then knew their lives would take a different path, and all ties with the Adas community were severed. Many viewed the sisters as traitors. They were estranged from their parents, who were approached to respond to the claims of childhood abuse but declined. So now, with the trauma of the past being out in the open and compensation being granted, You may be thinking, well, what about the principal? What happened to her? Did she flee to Israel, never to be seen again? This is now where the rest of this story continues. The principal had fled to Israel in 2008. Back in Australia, the police began their investigations and issued a warrant against her for 74 child sex offences involving at least eight students. An extradition request was made in Israel. This means Australia made a request for her to return to Australia to face trial. She was finally arrested in 2014, which was six years after she had fled from Australia. She was placed under house arrest and was required to wear an electronic tag. The extradition hearing, which was scheduled, had to be postponed as the accused claimed she was suffering from severe anxiety and panic attacks. The hearing was subsequently postponed a number of times due to her claims of mental illness. It's a requirement of the extradition process that the accused be present at court hearings. So time and time again, mental illness was used to postpone the hearings. After she was finally arrested, the sisters made a number of visits to Israel to attend the hearings, only to be disappointed each time. Here is Nicole speaking at the conclusion of one of the hearings.
1: The length of time has a massive emotional toll on each of us. We have all stopped working to do this campaign. Our families still come first, but this campaign is largely taken over our lives. But we're doing it on behalf of everyone, not just ourselves it's very hard it's always very hard to hear psychiatrists say over and over again that she's unfit for trial that she's not well enough to come and stand trial in australia we are just waiting and hoping time and time again and we will come back again to israel as we need to to hear the judge make that decision and hope that she says that she is fit to stand trial that is what we are waiting for and hoping for every single time we come no matter how hard it is to sit in court and not have a voice and not be able to say anything and just listen to psychiatrists have their personal opinions mixed with professional opinions and we're kind of at a loss we're not allowed to speak
0: But the sisters remained resolute and back home in Australia, they continued their campaign to bring her to justice. The former Premier of Victoria, Ted Bailu, supported the sisters and accompanied them to Israel. The Australian Prime Minister at the time, Malcolm Turnbull, also went to Israel, meeting with the Israeli PM, Benjamin Netanyahu. Daniel Andrews, the current Premier of Victoria, also raised the matter with Benjamin Netanyahu. A petition of 17,000 signatures from members of the community where the school is located was also delivered to officials in Israel. Then another two years passed after her arrest and the sisters received the news that an Israeli court suspended the extradition hearings and the accused was released from home detention. Free to return back into the community. As a condition of the release, she was required to undergo psychiatric assessments every six months, which would determine if she was fit to attend court. This was just another stab in the heart for the sisters. Then another two years passed, and she was arrested again. This time, evidence was obtained from private investigators that showed she had been faking mental illness. Photos and videos had been taken of her seemingly leading a normal life, out and about in the community. It had been stated that her mental illness had left her totally incapacitated, yet here she was caught on video with evidence that contradicted this. I have seen these videos and I will put them on social media for you to see yourself. Following this evidence, it was ruled by the court that she had faked mental illness to avoid extradition. The court ruled that she was fit to attend the hearings. This all happened in July last year, 2019, and everyone involved were overjoyed that it seemed the case was finally heading in the right direction. Now, to further complicate this story, It came to light last year that the Israeli Deputy Health Minister came under suspicion for using his position to stop the extradition. It was alleged that doctors were pressured to falsify psychiatric assessments to deem the accused unfit for trial. It was discovered that the principal had once held a position at a school run by the same ultra-Orthodox group that the minister belonged to. So after being arrested again due to the evidence showing that she was faking illness, a date was then set for December last year in 2019 for psychiatrists to deliver their report on her ability to face an extradition trial. The three sisters were watching the proceedings at home in Australia, only to hear the following unbelievable set of circumstances. The psychiatrist who was set to testify had forgotten it was scheduled for that day. I'll just pause here so that you can all gasp in disbelief. And the judge had only found out on that day. What a farce. This particular hearing would have been number 62. Yes, 62. To date, the whole drama had involved 30 psychiatrists. So it seems to me that there was psychiatrist shopping, just like some people do doctor shopping. They also were actively seeking and finding psychiatrists who were willing to find in favour of the accused that she suffered from mental illness. Dasy said, We feel sick with anxiety. Three months waiting for this day. Who didn't get the memo? Was this intentional? Another nerve-wracking month to wait. Will it actually go ahead? How much longer can we hold on? We don't understand why this is happening, but it doesn't make sense. The former Victorian Premier, Ted Bailey, who was supporting the sisters, said, This shameful farce continues, but the world is watching. And the world should know that blanks victims will not be deterred. They will not be re-victimized. They will not relent. No matter the interference or disgraceful legal games, Justice will prevail. That hearing, number 63, did go ahead in January this year, 2020, but continued to be more of the same. The principal's lawyers once again were trying to frustrate and delay the already prolonged saga by requesting they have the opportunity to cross examine the psychiatrists who had deemed her fit for trial. This request was granted by the judge which will again be heard at a later date. So this now brings us up to date, but stay tuned. As I know, we will be hearing a lot more about this case. Now, in the years that the case had been progressing, the sisters tried to go on with their lives. Dassy went on to become a qualified nurse and was embracing life as a single mum. She completed a postgraduate diploma in domestic violence and she also advised the State Law Reform Commission on Laws Impacting Victims and the State Police on Cultural Matters. She was constantly supporting child sex abuse victims in their own battles against their abusers and connecting them to support services. Dassey also started writing a book about her experiences, saying, This is about owning my own story. My daughter will one day grow up and read about my life. I wanted to be a story of strength and inspiration rather than victimhood. I wanted to try to take the secrecy and the shame away from my story by telling it in my own voice. Maybe I can even inspire others. I have found a new life and I love it. Now, this case has had a very high profile in Australia, and when I started the podcast, I always had in mind to cover it. I could have waited until its resolution, but as we've seen, it's been progressing now for more than 10 years, and who knows how much longer it will progress. So I decided to tell the story anyway, and will of course continue to monitor for any updates. Even if she is finally extradited to Australia to face trial, you can imagine how long that process is going to take. So I really feel for the sisters that this ordeal will be dragging on for many more years to come but this just shows how resolute they are and how absolutely determined they are to bring this evil woman to justice here are some final words from Dassey.
1: i've had a massive amount of experiences the last year i mean experiences that i never thought were possible oh, it's a very basic present. i've gone from being you know 10 years ago a shy reserved passive submissive person that felt very powerless and weak to someone that's the complete opposite of that now no it takes a long time i mean the justice system you know it takes a long time i definitely don't see myself as a victim and i don't even see myself as a survivor that would mean i'm trying to survive something and i believe i'm a lot further along than that If anything, you know, the word thriver uh, comes to mind.
0: DASI has a Facebook page where she has been documenting the case. And if you'd like to follow her yourself, you can find her at DASI Ehrlich, which I will spell out D-A-S-S-I-E-R-L-I-C-H. And just recently, I read some great news on her page that her sister Ellie got married only a few weeks ago. So finally, something joyful for these sisters. I will put up some videos in our Facebook group where you will be able to see this evil woman yourself. It's very difficult looking at her knowing what she's done. And to me, she really looks like how you would expect a female pedophile to look. She just is so very, very creepy. And just some final words, this story was told not to shame the Jewish religion, as we all have the right to worship and live as we see fit, but rather it's a story about innocent schoolchildren facing the ultimate betrayal of a principal. Just like Judas portrayed Jesus with a kiss, this woman also portrayed these girls, hence the title of the story Kiss of Judas. Before we finish, I'd like to let you know that you can leave a voice message for the podcast. This is a great feature of my podcast host where you can record a message up to the length of one minute and then I can put your message directly into an episode for everyone to hear. Wherever you listen to the podcast, when you click to play an episode, you will see the episode description and just scroll down where there is a link called send a message. I would love to be able to play your messages in each episode, so don't be shy. Say hello, tell us where you're from, or whatever else you'd like to say. It would be great if this could be a regular part of the podcast. I tried it myself by sending myself a message. Just record into your phone and click send. And also, leaving a voice message is free. It's not like making a phone call. It's actually free. It doesn't cost anything, so why not give it a go? So I look forward to hearing your messages. To end this episode, I will leave you with this quote. Nobody is perfect. That's why pencils have erasers. Bye for now and remember to be a good apple.